strong women, smart policy, solid theology, and no apology. You're listening to Women for America, a ministry of Concerned Women for America, the nation's largest public policy organization for women, bringing you biblical perspectives to today's most pressing issues. Here's your host, CEO and President Penny Nates. Welcome to Women for America. I am so excited about our guest, Kelly Lester. You know, we hear these stories of women who go down the wrong path and get into drugs or abortion, all those things. Kelly's story is unique and it's just so compelling. So get ready. You're going to want to hear this. Make sure that you let other people know that Maybe a mom who has a prodigal that she's been praying for relentlessly. You need to hear this story, and so does that mom. We know that God has a habit of picking up the broken pieces. And Kelly's story is that story of God picking up the broken pieces and putting together a masterpiece. So please join me with Kelly. Kelly, welcome to Women for America. I'm so glad that you can join us. As we move into um, the March for Life and after that, Valentine's Day, uh, there's a lot of talk about life, about love. And um, I was so impressed. You have an incredible story. And I met you backstage at CPAC at one point. We talked about this. And I see this stunning woman standing there in a pink tool skirt with a <laughs> with a tattoo sleeve <laughs> and it was I have to say there wasn't a bunch of those back there and yeah. I just had to come <laughs> up and meet you and I was like what is your story what's going on I just thought you were just so pretty and so striking and um I just I just wanted to know what was going on so this has uh, been a long time coming and hosting you but so tell our listeners your story because I think if we're really going to talk about love this is a love story for God and the miraculous healing power of Jesus. And so just go ahead and share with our people. I know you've had a long road. Tell us about your, your faith journey. I think if I remember correctly, you're a preacher's kid. Is that right? I am. Yeah. So first off, thanks Penny for having me on here. And to hear you say that I'm beautiful is certainly a compliment because you are stunning as always. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I grew up in a upper middle class home, a pretty, you know, from the outside looks like a normal, great upbringing. My parents were married up until the point my dad passed away a couple of years ago. And, but at the same time, I can remember even as a very young child, always feeling like I didn't belong, always feeling very insecure um, in elementary school, middle school, I was bullied and picked on and teased. And then by the time I was in high school, I was really wanting to belong and wanting to fit in. And so I had some friends come over and spend the night and they said, let's sneak out and go to a party. Now, Penny, I didn't know that was something people actually did. I thought that was something you saw on TV. Mm-hmm. But I said, okay, let's sneak out and go to this party. And while we were at the party, this boy comes up to me and he says, hey, let's go for a walk. And he was very popular and very cute. And I said, okay. And while we were on the walk, he raped me. Mm. And I came back to the party. I got my friends and went home. I told them what had happened and they didn't believe me because Mm. why would he need to do that to me? And then several days later, I went to my youth pastor, told her what had happened and she said, well, Kelly, if you never snuck out and gone to that party. That oh, my gosh, happen. Kelly. I'm yeah. so sorry. So, it's okay. 
you know, those feelings of being insecure and feeling like I didn't belong, they just intensified. And I Mm -hmm. felt like, well, you know, I'm not, I made a big mistake and I paid the price for it. And so I looked for love. I looked for belonging. And I found that very readily in the arms of young men. And by the time I was 15, I was pregnant. And I walked in, had my first abortion, walked in a nationally ranked tennis player, a straight A student, and I, and a regular church attender, because like you said, my dad was a pastor. And I walked out and I ran from everything good in my life. I started using drugs heavily. I started drinking heavily, um, being very promiscuous, um, dabbled in homosexuality and pornography and all of the things trying to fill that void. Because while the rape was traumatic, the abortion, I thought, God will never be able to forgive mm. me for that. And I understood, you know, people have to understand at that time, abortion was a little bit different than it is now. It's not something you heard about all the time. It's not something that people spoke about. And so I didn't understand the ins and outs of it, but I very much knew that I was pregnant and I didn't want to be. And so I understood that aspect of it. And I had the abortion, went down a terrible path of destruction that continued for many years, continued for several more abortions. I actually ended up um, was working in a bar selling drugs, wanted to get out of that chaotic lifestyle and, and find something to help people because I was always a helper. I was always a caregiver. Um, and I looked in my local newspaper and looked for a job and found that a women's clinic was hiring. And I, you know, this was before we had all the information on our phones and right. so I did the, the address on MapQuest and oh, followed yes. the paper directions. And get there, and I pull into the abortion facility where I've had my first two abortions. And walked in, and I got hired on the spot as the receptionist, and worked there for about a year. And while I was there, I saw horrible atrocities. I saw, you know, women being manipulated. One of the things that we were told to do was to edit magazines. So we would go through the magazines that were in the waiting room and take out any pictures of happy couples or babies, or diapers, or anything that might cue that maternal instinct in her. We would also turn the heat very hot or the air conditioning very cold, because at that time in the state of Virginia, there was a 24-hour waiting period. So they would come for the first appointment, do their initial consultation, then come back the next day. So when the men were in the waiting room waiting with her, we would do that, turn the heat hot or the air conditioning cold, because we wanted him to get up and leave. Mm. Because even we understood the value of father. And so we knew that if we could get him to leave, when she would come out, we would say to her, sweetheart, if he won't even support you for this appointment, Mm. what makes you think will support you for a child? The other things that we did was, you know, just lying to women about the process, lying to them about the procedure, about the risks, if we even told them what the risks were. But what really made me leave was the number of women that were hemorrhaging in the waiting room. And my job as the receptionist was to release women from the recovery room. And, you know, my job, I would go in at 20 minutes from the dot, I would give them juice, I would give them cookies, and I would release them and see many women there hemorrhaging. And when that happened, we would take them back to the back and we would fix them up and then we would release them and never tell them what had happened to them. And after a while, I started seeing it time and time and time again. And I was one of those women. So I actually went and looked at my file to see if that had happened to me. Thankfully, it had not. 
But I couldn't do it anymore because I realized we weren't helping women. We were actually lying to them and forcing them. Did not leave a great pro-life advocate like I am now because I was still caught up in the drugs and the, you know, all of the things and, and was still very, very lost. And then several more years later, I was in New Orleans living with a boyfriend who um, before he moved, or right after he moved, I found out that I was pregnant. And I, we'd been together for three years. I thought that I loved him. He told me that he loved me. Um, he was going down there and then called me once he was down there and said, Kelly, I want you to come, but if you come and you're pregnant, I'm going to leave you. Mm. And I thought, oh, well, you know, I don't want to have this abortion, but I love him. and He loves me. And, and so I had my fourth and final abortion. And then I get down there and everything is exactly the same as it was in Virginia. You know, you can't, you can move locations, but you don't leave all your addictions and your problems. And, and we decided that it wasn't working out. He um, decided that I needed to come home. I agreed with him. We went out to celebrate me going home, I guess. I'm not even sure why we went out, but we went out. And while we were out, we got into a big fight, which was very typical. He comes home. Several hours later, I come home. The fight intensifies. And there was a point where we had ripped the door from the door frame. And there was a, a two by four or one by four, I'm not sure the exact size, of a board on the ground. He pushes me on the ground. He picks up the board and he goes to hit me over the head with the board. Mid-swing, he drops the board, punches me in the face several times. My face explodes, blood goes mm. everywhere. And he realizes he'd actually hurt me. And so the fight stops. Well, the next morning I wake up and I have text messages and phone calls from my father in Virginia. I didn't answer them because, of course, after a night like that, the last person you want to talk to is your dad. Mm-hmm. 24 hours after that, packed up all my belongings and I came back home. And my dad meets me. Now I have two big black swollen mm-hmm. eyes. My nose is flat and crooked. My mouth is busted up. And he, I get out of the car and he sees me and he begins to cry immediately. And I said, oh, dad, I was in a car accident. You know, the things that women mm-hmm. say. And he says, Kelly, two nights ago, I was asleep. And in the middle of the night, I was awoken by the Lord. And I had a vision of you laying dead on the floor with your head split wide open. And so I began to pray. And I recognized that the moment when my boyfriend had dropped the board was the moment when my father, 1,200 miles away, had prayed for me. I didn't tell him that. And then several more weeks later, I'm sitting in the front row of my dad's church. He gives the altar call. And I hear as clearly as I've ever heard anything. I hear God. And I knew instantly that it was my father, God. And he says to me, have you had enough? But Penny, I had always heard this disapproving, angry, you know, you're a terrible person kind of a God. This was not that voice. This was my dad, my father, God, who was calling out to me brokenhearted and said, have you had enough? And I gave him the list of reasons why he mm. could never love me or never forgive me. And he says, if you follow me, I will make beauty from ashes. And then I, of course, said, my God, you know, how are you going to make beautiful? Being molested at three, which I found out later, that was why I grew up very insecure. Being raped, you know, as an early teenager, the abortions, the violence, how can you make that beautiful? And he didn't answer me because sometimes God speaks to us in an audible voice and other times he's silent. But every place where the enemy tried to steal, kill, and destroy me in my life, God has not only healed, but he has also saved, he has also restored, and he has redeemed. 
And one of the ways that he does that is by like moments like this, where I get to share my story. And hopefully, Penny, there's somebody out there who was molested at three and was a really insecure child, or somebody who was raped in high school, or a parent whose child has wandered off, mm-hmm. and they hear this story, and they have hope. Because mm-hmm. if God can save me, if God can heal me, and if God can restore and redeem me, he can do it for anyone. And every time I share my story, it's like, that's God making that beautiful. Mm. That's God making that beautiful. Mm. And so that's what I do now. I share my story. I, I worked for a pregnancy center for a while and then um, saw a movie Unplanned. We did it mm. as a fundraiser. Um, didn't know there was a lady named Abby Johnson. Didn't know that that was out there, but saw my story on screen. And then a couple months later, went to the March for Life, met her and her team. And while every aspect of my story I had kind of shared at that point, the one place that I hadn't talked, spoken about was working in the abortion industry because that was kind of the unpardonable sin. You know, it mm-hmm. was like when yeah. I would say I did that, people would get this look on their face like, oh, my gosh, I don't know how to handle that, which is yes. understandable. Yeah, because, you know, and as so often is the victim becomes part of the victimization, Absolutely. right? And that is Absolutely. a normal way that Satan works. It's not surprising. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I met them and realized that that was an area of my story that I needed to get healing. And um, so I came on as a client, but then then there were none. And uh, then started volunteering with Pro Love Ministries and then came on staff. And now I've been on staff with them for three years um, and, you know, worked with Abby and the team doing government engagement. So I testify for pro-life legislation. I do travel around and speak for pregnancy centers and other organizations and, and love to get to do stuff mm. like today with, mm. with your, your listeners. Oh my goodness, Kelly. I'm crying. I literally have to get a <laughs> tissue. Like my staff, like, look up guys, I need a tissue. Um, oh my goodness. What a beautiful, beautiful story of redemption. And I just, I mean, it just thank you for being brave enough to come and share your journey because you know there's a lot of christians i i run a conservative christian women's organization and i have every type of woman in our organization women that grew up in the church and didn't ever stray very much from that although we're all sinners by the way and we all know that you can't actually come to jesus unless you recognize you need to be saved and we all need we all are broken and sinners every single one of us everybody listening everybody in this room everybody in your room and um but I also hear often that, you know, women who are now involved in the pro-life movement is involved at CW. We have, a, we have state directors who also mm-hmm. uh, underwent abortion abortions and uh, God changed their hearts. And we are part of that healing them coming forward and uh, telling their story, hoping, hoping that other women won't make the same mistake and recognizing and naming their, their babies that they lost. And I think one of the biggest, biggest lies out of the pit of hell that Satan propagates is that you, that you are hurting and you're scared. And the answer, the little magic wand that's going to save you is you're going to go have an abortion and you have to, and of course they would never admit to themselves, kill their baby. Like they don't, they don't want, you know, off the abortion movement's never going to tell them that. And so they think it's the thing that's going to save them, but it's the thing that drags them down deeper and deeper. And I just find that so interesting. And I, again, 
common in the story because often I hear the story because people think, oh my goodness, a woman, you know, she found herself in an unplanned pregnancy and so she was scared and young and poor and she wouldn't have had an abortion. But what often happens is another unplanned pregnancy and then another one and then another one. And, you know, you tallied four, some women have more, some women have less, but I'd love for you to tell, why do you think that happens? I mean, do you think that, I mean, my gut is like deep down, you want a replacement baby because you know, women know that they've lost one because I, I, you know, friends of mine have had um, miscarriages and their hearts are broken. And those same feelings, if it's not pushed down hard enough and far enough and shrouded in alcohol or drugs are also existent in the vast majority of women who have abortions. Maybe there's a few that don't feel that, but I've never met one. So, I mean, yeah, tell, I think, tell us, explain that, because it's hard to understand. Yeah, I think there's a number of different factors. I think, one, most women who have abortions. Now, this is changing a little bit with our current, you know, in the last even 12 months. But the overwhelming amount of women that I've met never wanted to have an abortion. They felt like they had no other choice. Now, that may mean... They felt like me at 15, I felt like I was going to lose my college acceptance that I'd already had, my playing tennis, my parents, you know, it was like, I have oh, yeah. no choice. In As a preacher's kid, where Absolutely. there's a lot of pressure on a preacher's kid Absolutely. to be perfect. And I could, I could Absolutely. write a whole book about that. And it yeah. can be very damaging. I mean, I love my parents, but that was a lot to put on me and on my brother and sounds like on you. And, uh, and so that means you can't admit if you make a mistake, you're not free right. to just be, you know, yourself sometimes or, right. you know, whatever you feel like you're being judged all the time. Whether yeah. you are or not, it feels that way. Yeah. And unfortunately, Penny, a lot of times you are. But <laughs> yeah, you know, I, that's right. So that part of it was I felt like I had no choice. And many women feel that way. The other thing, you know, and, and again, my abortions were 20 plus years ago. There were not the resources out there. Mm -hmm. that there that's are. right. There was not the things out there. Colleges didn't have diaper debt so that you could change your baby in the college. Right, High that's right. didn't have daycares so that you could continue. There wasn't Young Lives and there wasn't, you know, Pro-Love Ministries. And there, there wasn't all of these organizations out there helping women. And so I really felt like I had no other choice. Because of that, when you feel that way, you know, and, and then also the second part for me was my first abortion was I was under sedation. And so the process of it, I don't remember a lot of, I, I remember leading up to it. You know, I remember afterwards just because of my conscience, you know, feeling, having faith and knowing that this was a, you know, an issue. Kelly, um, just out of curiosity, who paid for that abortion? How did you come up with the money? Uh, my boyfriend's mother actually. Yeah. Figures. Yeah. Yep. My, my boyfriend's mother actually, who, and that's an interesting piece of the story. She was a woman who a girl, I'd grown up with her. I'd grown up with their family. Her daughter and I had played sports together. She was like a team mom. She was the head of the PTA. She taught Sunday school at her church. Oh, yes. She was a, you know, she was a leader in the education system in our state. I mean, she was the kind of woman that when you looked at you, she was like the epitome of a wife and mother. So when she came to me and said, hey, this is what you should do, I didn't think twice about it. I was like, yes, this is what I should do. 
Um, now I recognize, you know, as it was going on, that this was not what I should do, but it was yeah. at that point. But she was um, protecting so of, her own absolutely. reputation. Oh, because absolutely. you can't be the perfect mother if your 15, 16-year-old son gets somebody pregnant. Absolutely. Yeah. So it was definitely a protection for her. Um, you know, so I think that's one reason, you know, I think there's multiple aspects to it. I think like many things, you do something wrong or something that you feel bad about. It's like you've numbed yourself to it. And so the next time you do it, you feel a little bit less mm-hmm. badly about it. And then the next time you do it, so it, it becomes, it's like sin, you know, sin that you don't start out sinning by killing somebody. You start out sinning by a little thing here and a little thing there and a little thing and it grows and grows right. and grows and you become numb and become right. numb and become numb. Right. And so, you know, it was that way for me with the abortions. And I'll be perfectly honest with you. People don't like to hear this and it makes me uncomfortable. I used it as birth control. I 100% did. I didn't take birth control. I didn't like the way it made me feel. I didn't like, now I was not a believer. You know, I wasn't walking right, with the Lord. Right. Um, I didn't believe, I didn't think it made me feel good. I didn't like it. And so I didn't do that. And so abortion was my birth control. Um, and there are women that that's the case. That's, you know, I know that's true. I do know that's true. Yeah. And so it just became, you know, it's like once you did it once, it was easier to do the second time and easier to do the third time and easier to do the fourth time. Yeah. Uh, now, each of them had their own complexities because my first one was a surgical abortion. My second one was the abortion by pill, which was horrible, which was absolutely horrible. Which is what we're doing in the vast, the, not the vast, but the majority of abortions that are happening now are chemical abortion, right? Yes. And so yes. you've experienced both sides of it. Yes. Yeah. And the thing about the surgical abortion was for me, like I said, I was sedated. So I have very little memory of the experience. Mm-hmm. It was done in a building across town that I didn't ever have to go to. A doctor did it to me. You know, so there was all these kinds of things I could put around. With the chemical abortion, I did it at home by myself in my apartment. I had to decide not to be graphic, but whether or not to flush. Oh my gosh. And I this is this is the new back alley of abortion, right? This the dorm room abortion is the new back alley. And we will never know how many women have been irreparably damaged because Correct. hospitals do not have to report unless she dies. That's, right. That's it. No, and no abortion facility has to report. And hospitals don't even know because women are being told if there's a complication to go to the emergency room and tell them you are having a miscarriage. miscarriage. That's right. Not that you're doing a chemical abortion, but that you're having a miscarriage. So the hospital we may see deaths from miscarriage jump up complications yes. from miscarriage jump up, but we are not going to see chemical abortion because they're being advised not to do that. Mm-hmm. And I, in fact, Penny, I had to move from my apartment. It was so traumatic that I didn't want to return to that. It was a two bedroom, two bath apartment. I stopped using my bathroom and used the other bathroom and then finally ended up moving because I couldn't deal with it anymore. So the chemical abortion is something that we have to understand, you know, as, as women it's traumatizing as mothers, absolutely it's horrible. traumatizing absolutely horrible. yeah it's it's it is worse than the surgical abortion mm-hmm. i can imagine that unsafe, for you for the for the woman it's it is a horrific experience it is yeah and as unsafe as the surgical abortion is the chemical abortion is far more unsafe far 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 more unsafe um 
And so that's, you know, something that we need to be looking at. But I think, you know, there are women, you talked about having makeup babies. I think that there are women that have makeup babies. You hear mm-hmm. that oftentimes where somebody will have an abortion and then very quickly afterwards they will get pregnant. Some will have lots of kids. Some, you know, don't have any kids. Women have difficulty in relationships. Sometimes they have a hard time you know, getting into relationship with men because of fear that, you know, this might happen again, or maybe their boyfriend made them do it, or they feel like I can't be a good wife. I can't be a good mother. I can't be, you know, and so they'll stay out Mm -hmm. of relationships. Other times they run to doing lots of relationships, but the reality is abortion is a traumatic experience. And that's not something that I'm saying as a pro-life person, you can look at stories that countless pro-choice, seemingly pro-choice women talk about their abortion experience. And they talk about how difficult it was, how hard it was, how, you know, they wish they hadn't had to do mm-hmm. it. They're glad that they had the choice, but they wish that they hadn't do it. You know, it was, you know, all of those things. And so abortion is traumatic. And so because of that, there's going to be some kind of response. And, you know, again, that, that may come in different ways. It may come depending on your situation. But if you are a woman who has had an abortion, I, I really want to implore to you to get healing. Um, you know, there's lots of great resources. There's Rachel's Vineyard, there's um, Surrendering the Secret, there's Forgiven and Set Free, Support After Abortion has some great resources. Um, you know, it might be something that you think, oh, it's good, I'm fine. And then when you start going into it, you recognize that you're not. That so. I love that you said that. Um, because I think there are a lot of women. I mean, statistics are, you know, at least one in four women and maybe even higher have mm-hmm. have had an abortion. And um, and whether they really wanted it or they were forced and pushed into it, coerced into it by someone else, the reality is they're still dealing with it. And so the if that's your situation or someone you know, there's I think there's two things you need to know today. Jesus died because we're all broken and there is room at the cross for literally anybody, literally Mm -hmm. everyone. You know, I love the story of the woman at the well, the woman who was such a, you know, pariah that she had to go get her water in the heat of the day because the other women in this, in, she was an outcast. The other women in the community wouldn't talk to her. So she was, you know, embarrassed or alone so she would go in the heat of the day to get her water and then she encounters jesus and he gives her the living water and and forgives her sin and tells her to go and sin no more he doesn't say you're fine you're fine you're fine he tells her to stop and he says bring me your husband and she says i don't have one and he says you say that right you've had you've been with seven men and even the one you live with now is your husband and she becomes such a strong believer that she goes back to her community and she can't stop talking about Jesus because she has the pain has been lifted off of her. So yeah. there is no more pain. There's no more shame once you're at the cross because you're there with all us other sinners alongside you. So don't walk around one more day, not one more day with this overarching cloud over your life give your heart to jesus confess your sin to him and give him your life and he'll help you make a way a new way just like you did kelly so kelly tell me about so you you come to the lord 
maybe for the first time or rededication, when you come back to your father's home, which I, I can't imagine being your parents, like you're the, you're the prodigal for sure. And you're back home. How was that? I mean, Leslie, you know, you had been in drugs. Did you need to go to rehab? Like what did the actual process come as the Lord starts to renew your mind and renew your story? Yeah, so it wasn't, um, it, it was a long process. I, I never went to a rehab. Um, I never did anything like that. I started getting in the word and started reading the word. And and truth be told, honey, it wasn't a instant um, mm-hmm. deliverance kind of a thing for me. It was something that- I think I that's a common with. story as well. We always yeah. loved the, my father said that yeah. he became the Lord and he was immediately delivered. He was a teenage alcoholic. And he always kind of turned his nose up. He's my dad passed away a couple of years as well. Kind of turned his nose up at AA. And I'm like, dad, that was your story, but it's not everybody's story. Some people really need AA. They need accountability. They need community to help them to, for the Lord to deliver them. And he agreed, you know, he knew that it was true, but, um, but often I, I agree that it, most people's story is it takes time to walk out this new life and the renewing of your mind, as you're saying, and through the word. Yeah. And it was, so it was, that was going on in one side. And then I was still every so often, I would go back into town and I would hang out with the friends and I would do all of the things, you know, and do that and have a crazy weekend of partying. And then I would go back home and I'd feel so much shame and feel so bad. And I'd repent again. But during that time I was doing ministry to children. I don't suggest this, but I was doing ministry to children um, in a poor area of our city that were, you know, their parents were drug addicts and domestic violence and all of the things that I was actually doing on the weekends occasionally. Mm -hmm. And as I was ministering to those children, the Lord gave me, like spoke to me through his word, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth is speaking. And I recognized that while I was saying to these children, Jesus, I was ministering what I'd been doing on the weekend before. And so the conviction of the Holy Spirit was like, it was like, I couldn't do it for myself almost, but I could do mm-hmm. it for them. And mm-hmm. so I stopped doing the drugs and stopped doing the alcohol pretty, at that point, it was pretty dramatic um, and stopped it, you know, completely broke it off with the boyfriend and all of that stuff. Cause you had this that foot in both worlds, right? You I had did. this one mm-hmm. foot in still in your brokenness and your drugs and all that. And then another foot in church and godliness and most importantly the lord and so i love that you know there was this moment though yeah i just can't do this anymore yeah i couldn't do it anymore and it was like the truth that had started breaking off the shell you know finally Mm -hmm. pierced through um and i was involved in a wonderful women's group with um a great, her name is Lisa Potter. She was the pastor's wife and she ran this women's ministry. And I saw for the first time, you know, I had always seen women in the church and this is horrible, but I'd seen them as boring and stuffy and quite honest and grumpy and quite honestly not somebody that I wanted to be. But she was yeah. full of life and she was beautiful and she was fun. And mm-hmm. all the women that I was sitting around with the table with were the same way. And I was like, oh, wow. I want to be like that. You know, yes. it was like, I want to look like that. I want to be like that. I want to have a parent like that and do all mm-hmm. of those things. 
And so they encouraged me. They, you know, challenged me when I needed correction. They brought correction. And yeah, because those own habits are, you know, hard to break. Right. And so I love it that you found because loneliness may have been part of what was driving you back into Satan's arms. And I love it. You found a new community that could both be encouraging, but also truthful. Mm -hmm. Oh, it was definitely isolation. The devil loves isolation. Mm-hmm. What Jesus was isolated for 40 days and then Satan came to him, you know, so mm-hmm. he loves to get us isolated. And I was definitely feeling that um, and got around them and they helped with the truth. And then I um, got married, which, again, I don't necessarily suggest somebody who is brand new believer and brand new in sobriety and all the things that I was to go and get married. But I did. Um, and my husband really showed me the way a man is supposed to treat a woman Mm. really loved me. Like Christ loves the church laying his life down for me. And Mm. I tried everything to push him away and to, you know, to do, and I never cheated on him or did anything unfaithful, but I definitely was not very nice. Mm. Um, And he just loved me and, um, and showed me what a godly man looks like. And, and uh, through that, you know, more lies came off and more things went away. Um, and it was just over a period. And I, you know, I did inner healing and I did, you know, all of those things. I went to see a therapist. I, I believe, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. you need Jesus and a yes. therapist. Yes. I did all of that. Well, and sometimes um, and a then, therapist, Jesus speaks through sometimes. The Holy Spirit yeah, yeah. ministers through <laughs> another person sometimes. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And so over the course of 15 years, it was layer after layer after layer after layer. And then I began sharing my story a little bit here and there, you know, and then through that more freedom came. And then, you know, and it's like, it's just been a ever evolving thing and still freedom comes. I mean, it wasn't um, not too long ago that youth pastor that I, I shared about reached out to me. She had heard that I was sharing my story from another girl that went to that church And she contacted me and said, hey, I don't remember ever saying that to you. I'm not saying that I didn't. I don't remember ever saying it. But if I did, I want you to know that I'm sorry. Mm. And please forgive me. And it was like, I didn't even know that I needed that healed. And, you Mm -hmm. know, so it's been things or I'll go somewhere and a memory or a feeling will come up and I'll feel that shame. And I'm like, okay, God, what is it that you're showing me here? What are you revealing here that you want to do a deeper level of healing? So Mm -hmm. it's, I'm not there yet. I'm still processing it. I'm still going through it. I'm still working. You know, that's working out your salvation. I'm still working that out. Well, we all are. (laughs) We all are. No one's perfect. I don't know. I said to, we just did a a, a podcast with um, Wendy Griffith from CBN who got married in her fifties for the first time. And we were talking Mm -hmm. about the, you know, the lie of social media around Valentine's day, you know, or or this perfect, the perfect family vacation and the beach pictures and like, and everybody's life is perfect and yours isn't. That's not reality. The reality is everybody's broken. Everybody has to struggle with something, with something. And, uh, and I just, I just, anyway, I just love your story and thank you for sharing all that. Yeah. So, so tell us, um, tell us Kelly for the person. And we already talked about giving your heart to the Lord. And you talked about some Mm -hmm. of the, the ministries that are out there. What's the one thing, and I've kept you, this has been so good. We may even you make this two different, uh, two different oh. podcasts because every, your story is just so compelling because it's so real. 
That's why, yeah. because it's so real and the Holy Spirit ministers through it so powerfully. But if there's one thing that you would say to your 13-year-old self, 15-year-old mm. self, 20-year-old self, what, and maybe it's different things, but what would you say if you had the chance to go back to that young girl? What is the piece of advice that you would give to her? Yeah, I think it would be different at different stages for sure. Um, I think the 13-year-old girl, I would really recommend that she tell her parents, you know, mm -hmm. that she confess what had happened to her, to her parents, um, and that they're not going to they're not going to disown you. They're not going to be mad at you. They're not going to stop loving you. No, that's yeah, right. They're not going to care about that stuff. They are going to try to get you help and try to get you healing. Um, you know, to the, the 15, 16 year old me after having the abortion, I, I think I would say, you know, you made a mistake. You're going to make more, but God loves you. And you are not you know, you haven't gone too far. You haven't gone too far away from his love. Mm -hmm. Jesus died. If that was the only sin that had ever been committed in the world, Jesus still would have died on the cross for you That's right. and died on the cross. And, you know, and, and just, again, I would have said, tell somebody, tell somebody. And if you're not, if that person's not listening to you, then tell somebody else. Um, because keeping that inside is just going to kill you. It is literally going to try to kill you. Um, so the 20-year-old me or the 25-year-old or 28-year-old me that was in the domestic violence situations, I would say, run. <laughs> mm -hmm. Get out now. You know, there is better out there. This is not the best thing for you. This is not the best man that you can have. This is not what you deserve. You know, I think for me, that was part of it was I felt like I deserved it. I can see that. I felt like it was almost like my punishment for yeah, you know, your self-confidence is so yeah. your self-image oh, is so messed up at that point. Yeah. You're like, this is, yeah. I'm getting what I deserve. I'm so yeah. sorry to hear that, yeah. but I'm so and grateful for your husband. Oh, me too. I, I, he's my, where did you meet him? Where did you all meet? <laughs> that's, a, that's a whole other podcast. Um, we actually met in the McDonald's parking lot in high school. He was oh. a surfer, I'm not a surfer boy, a skater boy, and I was a little grunge kid, and we met in the parking lot, and I mm. liked his best friend, but his best friend didn't like me, so I dated him, and uh, dating is very loose for what we did, if you get my drift, and yes. uh, there was a point where he had given me a hickey, and my dad <laughs> found it, and oh, went no. to his house and said, you guys can't see, well, not from the door, Robbie comes mm -hmm. to the door, and my dad asks him, what is this on her neck? And Robbie said, well, it looks like a hickey. And my dad said, well, how did she get it? And he goes, well, I guess for me sucking on it. And so my dad said, well, you two are done. And so that oh my gosh. And Robbie broke up with me. So he broke uh, up with me. And then we were separated for 13 years and got reunited through MySpace. And at that uh, point, I had been saved. He had gotten saved. And on MySpace, I'm really dating myself with some of these references. Yeah, um, that was, was for the young <laughs> ones. That was before Facebook. There was this thing before called Facebook, MySpace. Right, I missed that right. whole group. I think I was, I don't know. I think I had a new baby or something during MySpace, oh, but I wasn't yeah. on it. But it was all about a missions trip that he had taken. And so I reached out to him through it. And I said, oh my gosh, you got saved. I got saved too. He called me. He was living in San Diego, California at the time. And I hung up the phone and I looked at my best friend. And I said, I think I just talked to the man I'm going to marry. Oh my I goodness. didn't know this, but the day when he got the message, he wrote in his journal, that's Kelly and my maiden name. She's the one that got away. 
I'm going to marry her. Oh. And neither one of us spoke about it. We talked on the phone for two weeks. He came home, he proposed, and then we got married two months later. Oh um, my so goodness. Kind of yeah. Well, you, kind of listen, you don't do things halfway, clearly. I <laughs> you're either all in or you're all out. Well, I, yeah. I just, I could just keep talking to you all day, Kelly. I've laughed and I've cried literally with you today. Thank yeah. you so much. If people want to inquire about having you come speak at their youth group or speak to sure. their church or whatever, how do the people reach out to you? How do they follow you? What, where, where do they contact you? So there's a few things I want to kind of pinpoint. Um, one is the ministry, one of the ministries that I work for, and then there were none. You can go to mm-hmm. prolove.com and go to and then there were none or prolove ministries and get information about that. The other thing is we have a new website out called littlepillsthatkill.org. And if you go to that, it will give you information about former abortion workers, um, contra- and like going against what Planned Parenthood is saying about the pill. Yes. For me yes. personally, um, Ambassador Speakers Bureau, or you can follow me on Facebook at Kelly Lester Speaker, um, and you're welcome to reach out to me there, and I can direct you there. Well, Kelly, thank you so much, and uh, I assume you'll be down at the March for Life. I'll we'll have to look for each other, and yeah. uh, and I can't wait to see you. But thank you, God bless you. I will be praying for you because the, your you. story has to get out. We have to make sure that more people hear your story. I can't wait till you finish your book. We'll be sure to have you back on to promote that. But sister, I love you. I appreciate you. I'll be praying for you. God bless. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Women for America. To keep up with the work that we're doing, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and head to our website, concernedwomen.org.